Well, I'd like to welcome you to Irreligiosophy. This is our third podcast. It's the third podcast already? Last I checked. How many listeners do you think we have? Five. <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty optimistic there. Why, thank you. <laughs> I think uh, two of the five are you and I. Yeah. yeah. So three. Excellent. Uh, what do we got on tap for today? Well, on tap for today is the uh, Glenn Beck, the unlikely uh, Mormon. Now, the interesting thing is, is before this, I had never even heard of Glenn Beck. In fact, it was you who introduced me to Glenn Beck by uh, just calling me up and saying, you have got to listen to this guy. He is such a retard. Here you go. So uh, Did I really use the term retard? That's fairly oh, insensitive. You? Insensitive? <laughs> I don't know if that can be considered insensitive, but uh, yes, I'm pretty sure that was the term. Or whining faker. I believe yeah. those were some words you used. Douchebag, maybe? Douchebag was pontificating was in there somewhere <laughs> well anyway so he sent me this uh this unlikely mormon i listened to it and uh although it was excruciating to go through i did listen through it to the end just because charlie told me that it just got worse and worse and worse as it went on and sure enough he was correct and so due to this, I came back to Charlie and said, you know what, we have to hit this. We have to talk about this on the podcast, just because it was just so rife with stupidity, to say the least. I'd never heard of him before, um, uh, I don't know, three or four months ago, I guess, when my younger brother sent me... Well, when was when did Gordon B. Hinckley uh, pass into the, the beyond? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure he pushed up Daisy's what six months six ago? months ago something like that. He sent me a clip where Glenn Beck was bawling on his CNN show about how he's the only prophet he ever knew and blah 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 and et cetera et cetera. Apparently, he's like the number three most popular conservative commentator after uh, Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity. Yet again, the only person I heard of and actually knew in that was Rush Limbaugh. But uh, that you shows how much I listened to those. You don't know Hannity and Combs. Combs, you don't watch TV, do you? Person. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Excellent. Uh, you know, nothing interesting on anyway. So I thought he was um, kind of an idiot then, but uh, the CD's been floating around my family of uh, Glenn Beck's conversion process to Mormonism. Now, see, it's very interesting that you say it's been floating around your family because uh, this is something I even noticed uh, back when I was somewhat religious. The fact that uh, the LDS religion in and of itself it really, really loves their heroes, their, um, I can't think of the word, my mind went blank. Idols. Idols. That's the one I'm looking for. There's definitely a subcult of hero worship inside the Mormon religion. Exactly. I mean, Gladys Knight. Every right. time Gladys Knight comes on, oh, everybody go down, listen to Gladys Knight talk. She's absolutely wonderful because she's famous and she's a Mormon. Right. And that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. And they'll eat it up. And I think it's because they're a little embarrassed that they're Mormon. I think deep down inside, they're a little embarrassed that they're Mormon. And they'll glom on to someone who's really famous and respectable. And they think, wow, he's Mormon, so it's a little less embarrassing for me to be Mormon. You know, actually, you bring up a very good point, and it's actually uh, my own personal story, a little bit of an add-in on there, but even when, uh, I mean, when I was strong into the religion, I was very proud of it. I would walk around and I would tell people, hey, you know, I, I come from Salt Lake City, Utah, I was born there, raised there, yes, I am Mormon, in fact. Uh, really? Living I, in Italy, I did I would, I would change the uh, subject. When religion really? came up, I would change the subject. Uh, Didn't see, want to talk about I'm it. I'm talking when I was really religious. So we're talking my early 20s. Well, I guess Once I was I, never really religious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never wanted to talk about it. Well, see, the interesting thing is is uh, when I became about, uh, about 22, 23, started getting introduced to all these different cultures, philosophies, and such, I began to become embarrassed. And in fact, uh, it was when you and uh, your wife were living down in Arizona, down there for the residency, people used to ask me where I came from, and I would say Arizona, Scottsdale. Just because if I would even bring up Utah, they would bring up the LDS religion, and then I would have to be forced to defend it, even though deep down inside I was sitting there going, well, I don't even believe in the stuff myself entirely, so how can I defend something? And so, yeah, I became it. a little yeah. bit embarrassed over That it. was me. I never wanted to talk about it because I never really fully engaged with the religion or fully deeply believed in it, even young. 
And so it's hard to, to get excited. So I never had that evangelizing spirit, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, see, neither did I. But, I mean, in my younger days, like I said, I was trying my yeah. darndest to be religious. Yeah. yeah. So, so Glenn Beck, th this CD is about Glenn Beck's journey from disbelief to, to Mormonism. Yeah. Um, and in a nutshell, he was raised Catholic. Mother killed, himself, killed herself. Right. She, he kind of fell away from Catholicism, got into some drinking problems, had some drug problems. And uh, apparently the only way he found his way back was through Mormonism. Yeah. yeah. Which, in and of itself, we'll get into a little later on. I really don't think Mormonism would have saved him uh, had he not been uh, brought over by his friend. In fact, he and his current wife were actually church hopping at that time. So I figure he could have found the same amount of happiness in any sort of church. This was just his decision because the Mormons are nice. I'm not going to deny that. Mormons, by and large, are taught to treat each other nicely, treat their, uh, their neighbors nicely. And so they're very nice people. In fact, very friendly. And so because of this, these teachings... See, I think uh, that... That, I think, is a marketing ploy. Yeah. They are uh, really, really nice to people. And, and a lot of Christians do this. They, they yeah. you know, welcome yeah. them in. They treat you really, really nice because they want you to convert to their religion. Um, and I think that's where the missionaries come from. These 19-year-old, fresh-faced, young, eager, yeah. uh, not very knowledgeable, but sincere people <laughs> uh, you know, knock on their door. It's hard to turn them away. Really? You're telling me these missionaries aren't trained? Oh, God. They're... No. No. <laughs> But, you know, Glenn even says on here that he stumped some missionaries. Well, right? see, and that was something I wanted to get into. I mean, <laughs> he is so proud yeah. of the fact that he stumped these missionaries. Now, uh, most of you out there don't know, but LDS missionaries, they pretty much are young 19-year-old to 25-year-old kids who are going out there preaching a gospel that a lot of them in their younger days didn't really give a crap about they didn't pay much <laughs> attention to but all of a sudden oops you're 19 it's time for you to go on a mission so uh, they there, there is a lot of pressure on these kids oh to there go. is a huge amount of pressure i had even in park city which um in, as cities go in utah it's fairly non-mormon yes right? yes um cosmopolitan but i had a couple friends who uh did not want to go on a mission but they were told that their parents weren't were not going to give them any help towards college unless they got back from their mission yeah well wow. some of them were promised cars when they got back and yeah jobs i mean i yeah. i mean take a look at my family in and of itself i mean uh, most of you in the deconversion story found out that uh i was raised in a house of 19 children um, 13 of them adopted, 6, I guess if you call us, the natural children. Now the interesting thing is, is out of all of the natural children, I was the only one not to go on a mission. Now, uh, you want to know pressure. I mean, when I turned 19, my parents kept asking me, so when are you turning in your papers? And I kept pushing them off, pushing them off, pushing them off, saying, you know, I've got some things I, uh, I still need to do. And then uh, it just kept going. And when you become 25, I believe, is the cutoff age for a Mormon mission, they all but give up on you. And I remember I was driving in the car with my mother, and I told her I was about to join the military. And her comment to that was to look at me and say, well, that's okay. When you, uh, when you get older, you can take your wife on an elderly mission. A couple's mission. <laughs> a couple's mission. That was her comment to me saying, I'm joining the military. And those, the years, but I didn't go on a mission either, um, clearly. Uh, the years between 19 and 25 are pretty awkward when you're in Utah and you're not a return missionary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so do you want to talk about his missionary? Well, let, let's back up a little bit. All right, yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. He, um, he... <laughs> One of the most interesting parts to me was in this whole experience, right? He's trying to find God or, or find something. Um, he gets admitted to Yale, and he says he's um, oh. reading all of this stuff that contradicts, right? He, he said he'd go and he'd find stuff that argued with uh, someone else. He'd find one book, and then he'd find the one that would be directly opposite of that, right? Yeah. Um, and so he said, I read all the philosophers known to man. I read Plato. I'm like, oh, yeah. Yes, the it's mainstream. The, <laughs> Here we go. All the philosophers known to man. What a coincidence. The most famous philosopher out there he's read. 
uh, and Kant. He said he read Plato to Kant as if, as if philosophy ended in the 17th century. But it, it's hard without going through this whole thing to, to kind of say why Glenn is doing this. But you'll notice throughout the entire talk in the CD, he drops these little things to say that I'm knowledgeable. I'm, super, I'm better Yes. Than you, right? I know stuff. He is absolutely playing to the audience, actually saying, you know what, look up to me. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And with Charlie bringing up that he states that he got accepted into Yale, he uh, just before that, prior to that, states that he's a self educated man, that he, in every room, had an open book to read. So, I mean, it, he just completely plays up to his audience throughout this entire thing, constantly spitting out things. That would make the audience rise up and think, this is a man we should listen to. Yeah, which to me, I know I'm not in his audience. The only reason I'm listening to it is because my dad thought that it would be very interesting for me to listen to. I, I half think that he's hoping for a hoping for me to get a conversion story <laughs> out of this to reconvert, right? Yes, yes. Um, but for me, I wanted to know, because he said he was, he said... The reason he didn't like philosophy, he was unsatisfied with philosophy, was that they were asking the same questions we were asking 5,000 years Stating ago. Stating that there has been no progress. No progress. First of all, 5,000 years ago, we're talking 3,000 BC, that's... Um, Narmer's Palate. Narmer's Palate is the unification of Upper and Lower Egypt. Uh, I doubt that he's reading any philosophical text from 5,000 years ago. Well, if he is, he's learning about uh, Anubis. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's over there in the Cairo Museum. Um... <laughs> But you know, Plato is twenty five hundred years ago, right? So what did he read of Plato that he didn't like, right? What about what did he read at all? He mentions Plato. It's an easiest grab, easy grab if you're going for a philosopher. Yeah. Did he read the Republic, the Symposium, Phaedo, any of his dialogues? Um, no. What did he not like about it? There, there are critiques of Plato, but uh, not having any progress is really not one of them. Well, and see, that's what drives me nuts, is he actually brings up these things that he has read, and he throws them out there and says, I didn't agree with this. Or he says, you know, I stumped this person with this question, but he never once goes into detail to say, this was the question I asked. That is annoying. He, he, at one point he says, he goes to the bishop, who's supposed to be a scientist, and he asks this question, and he goes, I don't remember the, what the question was, but not only did I stump the bishop, but the bishop told me that Glenn. Not even the prophet has asked that question. Not even the prophet. And so you'd think, whoa, I think I'd remember what the question was. Well, I certainly hope you should remember what the question is. If you have a prophet of the church you were joining who hasn't even asked this question, you would think you would remember it and then announce it because obviously if you asked that question, you became converted to the LDS church, then that question came back and was answered to you. Maybe. 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 That's true. That's but you, true. you'd... You would think. I, I know would I think. wouldn't convert if I didn't have a question answered. Christians have this weird thing. It's like the dead zone, right? This little gray zone where uh, if there isn't a question, if there's not an answer to their question, they know that they're not like God. They don't know everything. Um, so there's this little gray zone where they don't know, and I'm sure the answer is somewhere in that gray zone. Obviously. But I would have loved to hear both the question and the answer. Yes. Anyway, so he's talking about all these philosophers. What did he like about Kant? Um, I'd love to sit down and see if he actually read Kant's pure critique of reason, right? Or critique of pure reason, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, what did he think of the categorical imperative? Um, and he read all the philosophies known to man. How about Wittgenstein, Nietzsche? How about um, Descartes? Even the pre-Socratics, if he likes Plato. How yeah. about uh, Thales, Parmenides, Heraclitus, Anaxagoras, Anaximander? He was too busy reading Mein Kampf. And the... <laughs> <laughs> Socrates, Aristotle. I mean, you're talking about no progress. You didn't make any progress. You haven't read any philosophy. All of philosophy is one long conversation with the previous philosopher. It's an yeah. amazing amount of progress. Democritus comes up with a theory, uh, the atomic theory. Oh, geez, the atomic theory. I mean, that has always astonished me that, I mean, we're talking 500 years B.C., and they came up with the concept of the atom. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Aristotle comes up with a theory of evolution, um, the central concept that you had differential breeding, right? And then he dismisses it. <laughs> he says, ah, no, that's probably not it. Obviously not it, yeah. Um, but, and then what got me is that he goes from no progress in philosophy, and he's totally unsatisfied with that, to religion, which has the same God yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever. He's eternally never changes. What the hell? What's the benefit of that? Yeah. What, there's no progress there. We're still 
using Bronze Age mythology for our ethics. Well, obviously, that has tried and true, and therefore there's no reason for it to change. <laughs> I guess. I mean, after all, we should still keep slaves from our neighboring countries, but not our own. <laughs> I mean, I have to say that Mormonism is, is this neat little... Uh, upgrade of Christianity, right? Yeah, yeah I like, agree with that. It's like the new Christianity. Right. That is just you have a problem up. with hell? Hey, there's no hell here. Yeah, outer darkness. It's it's all right. You're <laughs> just away kingdom. from God's presence. So. You know, you want to be married to your person that you love forever. You want to be with your family forever. Hey, what if we got a religion for you? It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. So I can see that. But Mormons claim that it was always that way, right? They're yeah. just bringing back the original. They're just theology. bringing back the original, but. If it was always that way, why is there no mention of it in the Bible itself? Yeah. Well, it, they fell away. Right? Of course. It of wasn't course. translated correctly. Oh, wait, wait, <laughs> it's wait, one wait. of the articles of faith. What do they call it? Um, in the, the Catholic Church. They've, the Mormons, I've been to a few, uh, a few lessons where they, they called the Catholic Church like the abominable, the whore of the world. The, the whore of Babylon. The I whore of Babylon. Yeah, yeah they, they bring this up where they say that the Catholic Church fell away from the true preachings of Christ and the true religion, which is why it, it came back with Jesus and then came back again with Joseph Smith. Yeah, so, you're right. I was taught that Adam taught Mormonism. Yep. That was the first dispensation. Jesus came and he, he re-established Mormonism. Second dispensation. Second dispensation. And Joseph Smith came and this is the final the, dispensation. Yeah. Yeah. See, um, I was taught the same thing. And I mean, it still seems funny to me, but, you know, I'm... It's, you know, they don't market that, though, because no. it pisses people off, right? Yeah. But in the classes, they actually bring that forward and they teach that. I mean, I, I've really? heard it... Oh yeah, and uh, see now Charlie didn't have the mainstream Mormon yeah, I education I did, but there were quite a few times where these layman teachers would stand up and they would state that it was the Catholic Church that fell away, and they would call it the whore of Babylon or what have you that's to describe. Hardcore in church, right? Yeah, that's some language. Well, see, there. I mean, and that's the thing is, it's in the scriptures, and they would pull out some happy little scripture that would Revelations, quote that. probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then. Everybody would just kind of sit there, smile and nod, and go, oh, I'm so glad that we have the proper church now. Yeah, I know. There's a big patting yourself on the back. I yeah, love it. yeah. Well, Here, here's another thing where um, he sets something out, right? He just he doesn't have to say it, but he, he says it, and it's just really to get people thinking, oh, wow, this he guy's really amazing. He knows what he's right? talking about. So yeah. he goes, he goes now, um, he's searching for these answers, and he actually found out why the Dead Sea Scrolls oh, were in the case. Oh, this one pissed me off. <laughs> right? He says, because anyone who disagreed with anything else, they were executed. Um, why for power? You know, nothing, nothing's changed. It's still happening right now. Uh, so you get the idea that the Dead Sea Scrolls um, were placed in those caves because uh, they were... They um, were hiding them because right. this was the truth, which is absolutely wrong. Wrong, Glenn. Um that was the Nag Hammadi. You might be thinking of the Nag Hammadi yeah. Library from the Gnostics, right? Now, most of you don't know what the Nag Hammadi Library was, but it was this separate kind of uh, teachings that uh, when the early church was going around trying to put together the canonical Gospels, these weren't exactly considered right. And so they were hidden in a bunch of jars and later years uh, just kind of buried, forgotten about, and some <laughs> criminals actually came across it. And uh, they thought it was a genie's lamp. And so they busted it open. They found the Nag Hammadi library, brought it back, and they used a lot of the pages to burn, to start yeah, fires the, with. Trying to, their mother trying to keep them warm or something. It is priceless, priceless, you know, books. Yeah. Um, but, but anyway, continue with the Dead Sea. So the, um, well, the Nag Hammadi, there the, were this um, bunch of Christian writings uh, from the 2nd to the 4th century the Orthodox Church, or the you know before they actually became the Orthodox Church, the Proto-Orthodox, are arguing with the Gnostics and a bunch of other heretics uh, about which is going to be the true Christianity. And the Gnostics lost, but all these documents were still loved. And I think it was probably a monk who who loved all this stuff, and yeah. he knew that there were a bunch of um, bands around there that are they're weeding out people and beating them up um, for being pagan or Gnostic, and um, they actually tore down temples and stuff like that. Oh yeah, so he, yeah, he it knew was that. Tough. Um, yeah. He knew that times were changing, and so he hit them down and buried them. They were found about 1,500 years later. It was about 4th, 5th century. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. that's Nag Hammadi. You know, if you're going to mention something, mention the Nag Hammadi library, right? Dead Sea Scrolls were the Essenes. 
They yeah. were um, a group of really, really strict uh, um, Jewish sect who uh, they had dietary guidelines. I think they um, couldn't have a bowel movement on Sunday. Yeah, it's yeah, it very strict. <laughs> it's really, really strict. <laughs> I don't know how you go about doing that. You but, just take a cork. I guess. <laughs> you, you, you. <laughs> So these guys actually had a, a bunch of um, the Old Testament and writings, and they'd have commentary on the Old Testament. And, and uh, um, it's actually a really good source because it's among the oldest manuscripts we have, and we yeah. can actually check Compare them. the manuscripts yeah. with the stuff that we have, see how well they're translated. Anyway, they didn't hide these in the ground because they were afraid of being beat up by Christians. They put them in a cave because around 69, 70 AD, the Jews were in open revolt against uh, the Roman Empire. Which, why you would ever do such a thing is just foolishness, in my opinion. Well, sure, they're trying to bring about the end of the world. This is what the Essenes thought. Yeah. This is the final apocalypse. This is the battle that's going to bring God in, and he's going to um, uh, have this complete upheaval, total apocalypse, and bring about his kingdom of God on earth. Uh. So they hid them up in a, uh, caves, went out to help the Jews in Jerusalem who were being besieged by the Romans. And what happened? They got crucified. What a surprise. It's the Romans. You don't <laughs> attack the Romans. <laughs> One of the biggest mass crucifixions <laughs> in history. Um, so it didn't happen, didn't bring out the apocalypse. But he, the point is that he mentions this thing. He doesn't have to. If you're going to mention it, for God's sakes, do the research. Yeah. Get it right. Well, see, it comes down to he's mentioning it to get that raised pedestal. He's trying to impress him. He's trying clearly. to stand up and say, listen to me, I know what I'm talking about. And that in and of itself is why I hate him so much. Yeah. He's just such a pontificator. Yeah. Yeah, I'll horrible. just bite my tongue at that point. But anyway, so he goes through and he's tossing out over and over again all these little fallacies and he doesn't even realize it. And most people in the audience are clapping, they're cheering him on because... Most people don't understand the intricacies of this history. Well, they don't know. I mean, you have to actually go out and research it, which is why I say it's cool if you mention it. It's great, you know. If you've done that research, fantastic. But if you're going to mention it, get it right. Yeah, If you're exactly. going to impress him, why don't you really impress him? Yeah, well, well anyway, anyway, I think we've beaten that yeah, I think so within too. an inch of its um, life. All right. The next thing I want to talk about, which I thought was really funny, because I think Christians have a propensity of doing this stuff. I think I know um, where you're leading on this he's, one. <laughs> he's an alcoholic, and he's you know he's tried the twelve step program. He can't he can't hold on to it. He can't do it. He keeps uh, having drinks and and sliding back and and uh, relapsing into drinking. And he um, s starts negotiating with God, saying, "God, all right, yeah. I can't do this on my own. You're going to have to take over for me. And um, you, I'm going to drink on Thursday if you don't put a roadblock in my way." And yeah. so he's talking to God in the car, you know, it's Tuesday, Lord, um, you got two more days. Uh, I'm not kidding. I'm not bluffing. I'm going to drink. If you got to stop me, you got to put a roadblock. Um, so he um, goes to the bar on Thursday, orders a Jack and Coke, uh, lifts a glass up and sees this girl that he had seen twice before. And he goes, I don't believe in coincidences. She was there to stop. I knew that was my roadblock. And I thought at that point I had <sighs> to stop it. And I thought. You're praying to an almighty, omnipotent, omniscient God. Asking for a roadblock. Asking for a roadblock. You think he'd give, I don't know, an actual roadblock? Why would he put a woman in a bar? She is drinking too if she's in the bar. <laughs> this is what's stopping you from drinking? This is stopping you from drinking? He could have oh. left his wallet home. He could have lost his keys. He could have been pulled over by a car. could have died. The I car could have died. He could have had a real roadblock. Construction. Anything. But he, he's about to drink, he's already ordered, he's already paid for it, and he sees a girl that he's met twice before. What a massive coincidence. Wow. Um, she actually frequents the same area <laughs> as he does? <laughs> I mean, this was his roadblock. This and is really dumbing down miracles. Yes. And, you, you know, you go to church, you hear the same thing, right? You know, you want to see a miracle, you go and witness childbirth. That's a miracle. Look, I, on a call... <laughs> I had. I remember your experience eight, with the miracle of childbirth. Eight straight weeks of call where I'm on OB at the Maricopa County Hospital, right? Like every third day call. One hour, the other intern had gone off to lunch. I delivered three babies in an hour, right? Yeah. I delivered ten babies that day. This is not a miracle, right? <laughs> you sit there and you get sick by the smell of placenta. You have to deliver. Anyone who thinks childbirth is a miracle hasn't stuck around for the afterbirth. 
That stuff is disgusting. <laughs> you mean uh, you don't eat the childbirth no, after God. like animals? Yeah. No. No, no. So, well, the interesting thing is, I mean, to get back on track. This I, is the miracle, though. I, I mean, agree for God's with, sake. I agree with Charlie entirely. I mean, look at the, the miracles in the Bible. I mean, you look at those, we're talking bushes burning and God talking out of bushes. Right. God's finger coming down right Clouds in the Ten opening. Commandments. Jesus drops on shafts now, of light. Now you go to church and you listen to the miracle of, oh, my car broke down and I missed that accident up there. Oh, my arm broke, but thankfully for God, it's healed up. Right. Oh, I got a pneumonia and it was by the power of God and the antibiotics. That I, I healed. Shh. Don't mention the antibiotics. We're not talking about that. I spent three days in the hospital, hooked IV antibiotics. Thank God for saving me. Yeah. You know, it, it's ridiculous. Exactly my point. And I, I really think, it, it really cracks me up that Glenn Beck is sitting there arguing with God saying, making deals, I'm going to drink. But it comes down to the 12-step program. Basically, in the 12-step program, which I will admit has helped out a lot of people, but I don't like it. Because it initially says, you are powerless, you have to give yourself over to God, God will take you in his hands, and then he will heal you and bring you back up to where you need to be. I, I look at that and I think, why are we placing the power in God's hands? Why aren't we pushing for our own power, saying, you know what, you've fallen, that's okay. You can be stronger than this. Stand up. It kills me because... The first step is to admit that you're powerless. There's nothing, you, absolutely nothing you can do. Which I don't agree with. No. You're totally powerless. You have to give yourself over to God and he'll take care of it. And then there are 11 more steps. I'm like, what the hell? God's <laughs> not doing those 11 steps. That's you, man. You are not powerless. You're getting it up and do it. Now, uh, I have to say that statistics show um, 12-step programs are very good. Alcoholics yes. Anonymous, they're successful. They work. Um, However, what are the fail rates? Uh, you know, well, they're better than trying to get through with it on your own, right? Exactly. A lot of it's social exactly. and all that stuff. You have someone else to pick you up. Um, but I got to say that I believe that the secular programs are just the same. Oh, I agree. Uh, they're just as effective. They're just a whole lot more Alcoholics Anonymous. Yeah. I'll refer patients to AA all the time. Um, and I've never heard them say anything bad about it. So I think it's a good program. Uh, but you I'd... obviously were never in the military. You should have heard some of the bad oh, really? comments <laughs> coming out of AA out of the, some of those guys' mouths. I mean, I, um, there are secular um, components to or, or um, secular counterparts is uh, what I'm looking for. Uh, you know, if you could get your mind in the game a little bit here. <laughs> there are secular <laughs> counterparts, Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I had that problem, I, I would try probably to seek out Alcoholics Anonymous uh, that was secular, but um, if I didn't have a choice, I think I'd go to the AA. Yeah, well, I mean, it, just do it. You just do it to get it's over your home. It's like when people, uh, you know, you're over at someone's house and they're praying, right? You just kind of bow your head and yeah, respect get to the person, it, right? not to the religion. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I mean, yes, I don't agree with Alcoholics Anonymous in that they give, tell you to, that you're worthless and uh, that you need. You're powerless. You need to give all the power over to God. But, but you are worthless. Well, that's just me personally. personally. We're talking about other people who need the help, not and me. You're not even an alcoholic. Well, I try though. You don't. <laughs> all right, all right. Let's let's move on to the all next right. subject. So the next thing I want to talk about is his um, his reason for going on that that church church. <laughs> I can never say it. The church, church tour. tour. There you go. Um, he uh, quotes this letter by Thomas Jefferson, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, question boldly. And he doesn't mention... The rest of it? <laughs> the, yeah, the rest of it, which is question boldly even the existence of God, right? But it's question boldly, um, fix reason firmly in her seat. Uh, for if there be a God, he must surely rather honest question over blindfolded fear. I, you know, that, that's, that's good. I think that's absolutely yeah, right. That's a great way yeah, to absolutely. approach anything. And he says, you know, um, if God was there, uh, he'd leave me a bunch of breadcrumbs, right? He'd leave side posts. Um, he would want me to find him. Uh, he'd want me to turn over his stone. My question was, why the hell is he hiding in the first place if he wants to find you? <laughs> because... <laughs> This but it just appeared to you. This is faith. We are here to learn by faith. You <laughs> it's know, so ridiculous. No, no. Actually, I'm serious. My my dad sat me down when I was younger and explained this to me. He said, "You know, if I was standing over your shoulder all the time, 
you wouldn't want to do anything bad. You would want to continue down the proper path because you wouldn't want to get into trouble. But if I hide and disappear, I know right well that you're going to be out there pulling some stunt and doing something bad. So, obviously, God is hiding because of faith. Well, he wants you to screw up then. That's that's what your dad's saying. Yeah. God wants you to screw up. Yeah, it's a much. It's a rigged game. He's rigged the conditions. <laughs> would you stop tearing down my <laughs> I mean... Uh, I love it that you have to turn over every stone to find him and find a bunch of signposts and breadcrumbs when God just appeared to Paul. Yeah. Paul, and in Mormon religion, Almy the Younger, same exact story. God came down and appeared to them, and these two characters in these two different books were ripping apart God's church. Yeah, Alma the Younger was... Uh, leading a bunch of people astray, right? Yep. Paul was persecuting people who were Christians. Um, Paul gets stricken by this um, vision of light, struck down. Alma the Younger gets struck down and spent like three days. Three days in a coma. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he's wrestling with his own sins and blah, blah, blah. And they both end up being converted. And I, clearly that story's swiped directly from the New Testament. Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> that was taken off of the golden plates. Don't you mock my history. <laughs> Uh, but my question is, assuming either one of these stories is true, all right, why doesn't God do this to you and me, for example? Like, the, I am often asked by Christians, what are you going to do when you get before the judgment bar of God? <laughs> and he says, so, why didn't you believe in me? And my question would be, why did you hide in the first place? <laughs> you popped up to Paul, you had no problem appearing to Paul. Yeah. Well, not only why did he hide, but why did he hide so fully? Yeah, I mean, right. why did he toss out so many things out there that would make you look and go, well, wait a minute, that tosses so much doubt on just this one aspect, and then you look and it's a broader aspect that it's affecting. Why does he hide so fully? Right. Why, yeah, and Bertrand Russell, I guess, was the one that said, why did you take such great pains to hide yourself from me? <laughs> very, very accurate. You know, not even appearing to me, but for God's sakes, leave some clues that are a little better. Yeah. Uh, so I, it's awesome. Yeah. You know, he said he started with atheism, right? He didn't start oh, with atheism. No, he didn't. You know, I hold the belief that Glenn Beck is a woman. And the reason why I hold that belief is because the whole reason he even states it in this, the whole reason he started looking into and going on this church tour is because his soon to be wife told him, your children know nothing of God. He starts questioning them, which I really hated it when my dad would sit me down asking me a question when he knew the answer and he, even though we would hit around it and get pretty much the right answer, he would keep telling us we were wrong. So he's looking for a specific answer and specific you just want him to answer. come out and say, what do you want us to yeah, say? Yeah, you, you just get irritated. Yeah. But basically, the only reason why he has started to get religious again is because of his children. So it's just like a woman who's had herself a baby, all of a sudden, you know what, there's more to this world than me. I need to become religious. So you, Glenn Beck is a woman. Sexist bastard. Why, yes, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so men can't get religious after they have children? I'm sure they can, but that makes them women, women. women have What do you have against women? I have nothing against women. I love You're women. You're a misogynist. Why, thank you. <laughs> would you mind continuing on the commentary <laughs> instead of picking on me? I would like to say that I am firmly convinced that Glenn Beck is a man. All right, I think we've beaten this one again. <laughs> yeah, well, he's, he's talking about atheism, right? And he's like, I started with atheism, right? Yeah, you did and, not. And I know that um, uh, the only reason I believe in you is because everyone else has told me you exist. And um, I don't really know anything about yeah, you. Yeah, what was it? Um, I deny you because I don't know you yeah. is what he said atheism right. was. Uh, right. <laughs> really? Really? Uh, Why don't um, you do a little little study into atheism to find out what exactly it means? If you say I deny you because I don't know you, that's actually predispos- predisposing that he's right. there. You're presupposing I mean, that he's already there. Yeah, presupposing. Excuse um, me. Uh, but he says if you exist and I honestly ask you questions and I honestly seek you out, right? Um, yeah, you must answer them because you are a God that is honest, whereas I am not the same or something. Right, that you're handcuffed to the truth, yeah. me not so much. Um, and you, you notice that little uh, uh, loading the deck there yeah. where he says, if you honestly seek him out, you'll find him. Because yeah, uh, for me, example, you know, if I, <laughs> I didn't find him. And I, I think I honestly 
sought him out. Um, I, I wanted to get converted, really, because it would make my life easier when I got married yeah, um, to, into to your wife, into uh, an LDS, LDS family. Right. Yeah. Um, would have made my life a lot easier. I, I really wanted one of us to convert, right? Either her or me. And uh, neither of that happened. Let's see. It was the same but thing with But it's because me. I wasn't honestly yeah. seeking. It's my fault. Yeah. It's Obviously, not Glenn Beck is calling you and I yep. lazy dishonest. and dishonest. Yep. Because... Neither of us spent years. I mean, our deconversion lasted for, what, roughly 10 years? Yeah. Where you and I were both searching out, you on your end, me on my end, and then we finally both came together and said, well, I can't find any reason. Right. And you just, I mean, for me, for you, it kind of snowballed into this big avalanche. Yeah. For me, I just kind of realized, my God, I, I can't, I really don't believe in this, and I haven't for a long time. And then you just kind of let it go. Yeah. Um, Obviously, because we were lazy and dishonest. Yeah, clearly. You know, I can't muster a, a sincere belief because I'm dishonest. Okay, right. so this is this is great. Um, this is this is very Mormony, by the way, because yeah. Mormons are aware that they they have a problematic history. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a lot of stuff that you can attack them on, and they they claim it's because they're just anti-Mormons, right? It's agents of Satan. Oh, that's want... a huge game. It a, is. a huge claim. Any problems with the Mormon religion, it's just because of anti-Mormons. They yeah. just don't like us because we're different. Right. Satan doesn't want you to know the truth. It doesn't want you to come to the truth. Um, and the more people try to dissuade you, the more true you know it is because Satan Obviously, wouldn't be fighting so yeah. hard. Why would Satan fight so hard <laughs> if this wasn't true? So... With that, they'll tell you, you can go ahead. And when I, when I was searching this stuff out and I asked your brother for some help, he said pretty much the same thing. He's like, well, you can read some anti-Mormon stuff, but here's a book to read. Uh, and it's called Jesus the Christ by Talmadge. And I said, all right, well, if I'm going to read this one, then you're going to have to read this book. And it was a fundamentalist book. And he agreed. And so what happened? I read the Jesus the Christ book, and he gave the other book back to me unread. Like, hey, God. Well, I wasted like 300 pages. That was horrible. Obviously, he knows the truth. You do not. <laughs> Therefore, you're he the one have to who waste his read. time, right? <laughs> ah. So, so with yeah. that in mind, we want to have Glenn Beck speak for himself here and see how. Um, and I wonder how much Glenn has become Mormonized. Oh, I really think he is playing to his audience. I think he's become more Mormonized, especially when talking to his audience than prior to. So a lot of the things he discusses actually in this little conversation he has or this talk or whatever, I think a lot of it has been skewed to form around his now new Mormon persona. Yeah. And I wonder how long he's been a member of the church and how that culture, how much that culture has affected him. Oh, I really think it has a lot. Yeah. I mean, if you he, listen to this and you are... Tons of Mormonisms yeah, in there. Yeah, if you are even familiar with Mormonisms and Mormon culture, it is filled with Mormon culture. But anyway, we've got this for you to listen to. Here we go. You know, I, I really firmly believe if you're going to go out and buy a car, you go to the Ford dealer and you ask the Ford dealer about that car. And then... You go to the Chevy dealer, and you say, tell me about your car. Oh, by the way, what do you know about the Ford dealer? And then you let the Chevy dealer tell you about the Ford. But then you go back to the Ford dealer and say, what about this stuff? And you let the dealer explain. You don't go to some fourth source and let him sell you down the river. So, <clears throat> that's, that, that is such a part of Mormon culture, right? Um, and, and if you break this example down, which he gives us this brilliant example, right? If you break it down, just on its own terms, um, is there a single reason why you might not want to go back to the Ford dealer to get his response? Can you think of anything? Oh, I don't know, because they have a reason yeah. to convert you? They've got a vested interest to sell you the car, and they might lie to you, perhaps, oh. to get that commission? All I would like to ask is, what happened to questioning boldly? You say, <laughs> you don't go to the fourth source? Are you kidding me? Of course you go to the fourth source. The fourth source. source has information on both of them. Using his analogy, what you would do is, you'd, if you want to go to the Chevy dealer, fine. 
Um, but what you really ought to do is go into the internet for an unbiased source that is not going to get any money from your sale. The Chevy is still going to get money. They want to convince you to go to theirs. That's why you don't go to a Southern Baptist to talk about Mormonism, right? They want you to be converted to their church. No. So what you do is you go and look at an unbiased source. Now, that may not be possible with religion. With religion, it's Probably very difficult. Probably everyone's biased. Well, I mean, but... that's why it took us 10 years to find right, all this exactly. out. I mean, you, it's difficult to find anything without any bias in but it. But even the analogy, you go to the Internet, and you look at an unbiased source and, and, and try and get your information from that. Um, so analogous to that for religion, you, you would try to go and read a bunch of the pro-Mormon sources and a bunch of the anti-Mormon sources yes. and try to come to your conclusion there. And I can tell you this, if he questioned, he didn't question boldly and his research was no. not thorough. No, it is not. In fact, I could come up with five reasons right now, which I won't because this is something we'll cover down the road in Irreligiosophy. But just a single reason I could come up with that would make you go, well, wait a minute, this, this can't be possible. Book of Abraham. Exactly. What what what's his take on the Book of Abraham, right? Yeah. And we'll go into that later. Yeah, this but is, I, yeah. that was one for me that it was the last one in the long list of things. Um, Adam, God, polygamy, blacks in the priesthood. You know, it was awfully convenient at the end of the civil rights era. All of a sudden, know, blacks were allowed. Yeah. You know, oh, by the way, you guys can have the priesthood. Now, speaking of which, why didn't this happen from the beginning? Oh, wait, <sighs> yeah. because. The white Mormons weren't prepared to have that. Right. So now God's a respecter of persons. And he puts the white people's interest above the blacks, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> why? Um, the white people uh, weren't ready. Just accept Yeah, I've heard that. God they think, said it. They think that it's like, oh, it's because, you know, us, the white people, we... we um, uh, we're inferior, we didn't like it. And they, they mean it to sound like... Um, it was really the fault. We was had on to come them. along. It was our fault, right? However, the the, but of course, the black the, side was getting punished for it. All these African Americans who, in theory, could have had the priesthood to bless their children. Yes, and you know, and grow up with all the priesthood blessings, the blessings and get in the yeah, temple. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they had to wait for the white folk to be ready for it. I mean, that's totally racist. Yes. Anyway, anyway um, yeah. there are tons of reasons, but the, the Book of Abraham was the last nail in the coffin for me. And I honestly don't think there's an answer. There is, you can um, obfuscate the issue, you confuse the thing. Yeah. There's like an 800-page book by Hugh Nibley that his sole purpose is to confuse the crap out of you. Yeah. yeah. And I'm convinced that people don't read this crap. They just say, oh, you have a question on the Book of Abraham, do you? Here you go. Here's, <laughs> read this. Read oh my, this. My God, I'm not at, reading this. Yeah, they just think, okay, it's been answered, <laughs> and they walk away. Exactly. All right, but we'll go into that much later on, much later. All right, so anyway. So what were your... Um, we've, we've covered a few of the ones that I didn't like. I mean, like I said in the beginning, one of the things just really riled me up was when he was talking about how he stumped these missionaries. Yeah, the questions. Just the questions. What and he, questions were they? Yeah, please, elucidate us. Let us know what questions you had, because I can guarantee you, I can come up with a few that they can't answer. In fact, just a few months ago, Charlie and I sat in front of some LDS missionaries. We asked them some questions. They said, we'll get back to you on that. We don't really know that right now. I have yet to hear back from them. Yeah, never got back to us. I think they're done with their mission, by the way. Oh, I'm, I wouldn't. And they're yeah. off their mission. Yeah, so that won't happen. Um, no. Yeah, the one thing he does, he's like, oh, well, I have a question for you. Where's Gandhi? And he thinks uh, that um, Gandhi's in hell or something like that, but there's no hell in Mormon theology. Yeah. However, he never gives the answer of where Gandhi was. I would have loved to have heard them plug into what kingdom he is. Yeah. See, that would have been very what interesting to Gandhi plug in the kingdom. Into? Instead, all he states is... One of these uh, layman teachers, she looks around and says, would anybody like to answer this? And he was actually impressed that they would turn to everybody in the class and say, does anybody want to answer this? He never gives the answers to where Gandhi is. I would have loved the answer. And one of the lay people answered the question, and what he said was, oh, oh. that makes sense. That's logical. Yeah. What makes sense? Please, and why don't you come up with an answer? Tell us. The, the funny thing is, is that Glenn... He even says it. He's like, you know, um, I didn't want to be a Mormon, right? Because I didn't want to le live a lie. And I I'd lived, I'd lived my entire life a lie, and um, I had to know it was true. And then he kind of backslides and he says, I, I had to believe it was true. And I'm like, aha, that's the crux of the issue. We already know Glenn's strong suit is not logic, right? No, no it isn't. Um, 
but he has to it has to make sense to him and he has to be able to sincerely believe it right yeah um well who would choose to be in that sort of group of people i mean he he actually brings us up where he says who would choose to be mormon who would choose to have people say they're in league with the devil that's right. a good question who would choose to be that um oh what about gay people they're constantly threatened by <laughs> eternal damnation. Um, people, they... yeah. It's homosexuals and atheists that are the two like least liked people in the United <laughs> States. Um, so I'd say, I'd turn around, same thing. Who would want to be an atheist, right? Yeah. yeah. When was the last um, atheist president elected, right? People would rather vote for, um, you know, they have no problem voting for women, no problem voting for blacks, Catholics. I think Kennedy, there was a big thing about, you know, oh, can we have a Catholic president? Um, yeah. But now, you know, those things are passed, and really it's down to uh, gays and, and, and atheists. atheists. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we're the only ones left that are kind of I mean, there's like one, one uh, atheist who's out of the closet, I think, in, in Congress, and I think there's one homosexual um, who's out of the closet. I'll bet you the homosexual is doing better than the atheist. He probably is. <laughs> I wouldn't bet against you on that. Um, but, you know, there's no way they'd vote for him for president in a national election. You couldn't get a gay guy. Uh, he'd have to be closeted. And the if he was atheist, he'd have to be closeted, too. Yeah. Uh, but the, my point was that Glenn says, oh, it had to be true. No, no, I had to believe it was true. That's what you have to do. And, you know, um, it's not that it has to be true, per se. Just Glenn has to believe it. You There's a huge difference. It. Yes. You know, the, uh, heaven forbid someone believes something that's not true. That's never happened before. Oh, of course not. Of course uh, not. That would be foolish. Right. <laughs> uh, so... Anyway, I we should probably close this up. We've we've hammered Glenn Beck enough on this. I mean, uh, if you wait, wait. Oh, oh, wait. Well, more. One more. Which one? Uh, When you hear a Mormon talk about tithing, oh, you can set it down that there's going to be a story uh, that they didn't have two nickels to rub together, and then they started paying tithing. And now they're fabulously wealthy, right? Or they started yes. with they ended up with a whole lot more money than they started with. Oh, I'm uh, glad you brought this one up. I forgot about this. Yeah, one. right. Remember, he goes when I started searching in 1999, he couldn't afford the um, like 700 bucks for a monthly apartment, right? Yeah. Uh, even though he just got finished telling us that he made three hundred thousand yeah. dollars when he was 24, well, he was wildly successful and kept getting more successful. Yeah. In the last not time. only that, he kept talking about. From one job to the next, he kept becoming more famous, kept making more money, and he constantly believed that happiness would be at the next job right. where he would be more famous and more wealthy. And he got it. He was more famous and more wealthy and more successful, but he was never happier. Exactly. Right? Now, uh, he could be. He did mention that he was, a lot of this money went up his nose and he was drinking and doing drugs and that stuff. How do you piss away that uh, much, though? <laughs> I think it's possible. I think it's possible. Anyway, all right, all right. so... He said he couldn't afford a monthly apartment of 700 bucks a month in 1999. Now it's 2007. He just signed a $50 million contract. Do you realize how many people you're spitting in the eye of with that comment? <laughs> Not nearly his entire audience. You know, your parents have been paying tithing their entire lives. When have they signed a $50 million contract? I wish they would sign something because they're in such financial duress right now. I, I mean, his entire audience, right? He'd yeah. only been a Mormon... At max for eight years there. Yeah. Um, I bet his, his, most of his audience have been Mormons all their lives. Yeah. Paying tithing all their lives. How many of those people are scraping together? Still. Still. Why is he rewarded more than these guys? He says, well, this is awesome. Oh, I hated this he guy. He goes, oh. the Lord doesn't care about how much money I make. The Lord cares about how much money I give. Right? Yeah. Like, he's looking for good stewards. It's like, oh, Glenn, yeah. don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. Yeah, please clearly. reach back there. You are clearly <laughs> on a higher pedestal than your entire audience. It's amazing. He actually states that God actually stands up there and says, oh, you think you can handle this? Here, let me give it to you. Yeah, and right. he hands it to you, and you have to see if you can handle it. Now, <laughs> Please. Sign me up. Yeah. I'll take it. Sign me up. I'll take a $50 million contract. I can handle it. I'm not going to sniff yeah. it up my nose like you did. What's amazing to me is that he's uh, he's really successful in the beginning, and he's really successful later, but somehow his later success has everything to do with 
joining the Mormon Church and God. Absolutely but nothing is, to do with his prior yeah, fame and his right, prior exactly. experience. It's, it's all God. His, his talent of, of whatever it is. Well, obviously sticking to his audience and getting them to be happy with him, even yeah, though he's, he's spitting in their eye with comments amazing, like that. Yeah, he's amazingly good at it. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, is there anything else we want to kick him in the shin for? I, I, think, that's, I think that's it. It was, if you want to, uh, if you're really interested... <laughs> You can order the, the CD yourself. Yes, um, yes. One of the good things was that I th all of the profits, I think, go to charity, which was yeah, really neat. That is actually something very good. I, now, I will speak well of Glenn. Now, uh, he actually supports the troops. And another thing which I kind of like about him is he's not exactly politically correct. So I will, I will say that he does go out there, he does help charities out, and he does uh, support a few things that are good. However, overall, if you decide to listen to this... Please expect to hear Glenn tear up in about five seconds, and then in the next instance, toss out a joke. Yeah. Completely sincere. Yeah, uh, that, that's another Mormonism, where you know, there's something called fast and testimony meeting, where the first Sunday of every month, people get up and they're supposed to just bear their testimony, which in Mormon talk, is uh, they, they say that they know the church is true, I know our prophet, and, you know, insert prophet here, is a true prophet of God, and, and thank God for the church. And But usually what it is is, you know, it's I got, a cry fest. <laughs> I got mangled the other day, and it's only through the power of God that the, and the church that that I got through it. And you know, my brother-in-law has cancer, and he was miraculously healed, or didn't he died, and now you're, he's with you're not the... saying this right. So uh, <laughs> when I uh, when I was five years old, I tripped and stubbed my toe. So I mean, yeah, and they'll cry, and then they'll recover. They'll be like. I'm sorry, dude. Give me a second. Bear with me. And it's just really, uh, it's cultural. So the audience goes, wow. He, he really, is touched by God. Yeah, he's the spirit, the spirit is with him. He deeply believes. And sometimes you'll hear them cry when they're like, I met the prophet once. And they can't talk anymore, right? Because it was such an amazing experience for them that they're all choked up. And I'm like, yeah. oh, come on. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, uh, to get back on track. He'll cry about... Eight or nine times. Yeah, and we're talking, not full-on crying, we're talking all of, and I fired a man for bringing me the wrong pin. Yeah. So anyway, while I was shopping. <laughs> bringing uh, a wrong pin, he cries about. All right, we've hit him enough. Let, let, let's, let's let him <laughs> lick his wounds. But, so anyway, if you want to buy it and actually listen to it, um, we'll have a link up on the site yeah. along with this podcast it's where you can take a look an at it. Unlikely Mormon, if you want to search for it on Amazon. And if you want to cause yourself excruciating pain. It is painful. Uh, but uh, great. Anyway. What do we got coming up next week? Oh, next week. Uh, actually, I'm really looking forward to next week. Next week we have Becky Garrison coming on. Um, she is the senior editor at the Wittenberg, Wittenberg Door. Excuse me. Um, she's written three books uh, and she's been in two documentaries. So she's going to be on next week to discuss with us these prior three podcasts. And hopefully, she's right now looking for a second, because that is our intent, is to uh, have two atheists on one side, two faithful on the other side. So hopefully, she will have somebody there ready to discuss with her. But all in all, I'm just tickled pink to have uh, Becky Garrison on the other side. I love that she has a second. So, like, in case she gets killed during the debate, her <laughs> well, second Somebody can needs to it. step up. <laughs> are, you, are you planning an assassination? Should I be warning her? <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying it. You know, they used to have seconds in duels, right? That's very true. Well, or is it kind of a Miss America thing where if she cannot, if she fulfill, cannot her fulfill her obligations, <laughs> the second steps forward? Well, should we have like a spare crown lying around just we, in case? Yeah. 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 All right. Next, next week, Becky yeah. Garrison. Becky Garrison. Awesome. See y'all then.